Would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 17 through 42? Acts, chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. If you are using a Bible provided in a chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 949. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you that we are going right now through a series um, of sermons on the, in the book of Acts, and um, we pray that the Lord uses this book to encourage us as a congregation to be bold and clear about the gospel and take his word to the ends of the earth as a church. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. Here's the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts this morning. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison security locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they sat before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they had heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But it is, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. 
So they took advice, took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as a Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's ask the Lord to give us his grace and spirit so that we may understand his word. Father, we thank you that you have made your word clear in your revealed book to us. And yet, O oh Lord, we ask for clarity, not because your word is not clear, but because our hearts, because the sinfulness of our hearts, we tend to make your clear word cloudy and misunderstand it. So we ask now that you would give us clarity so that we may understand what you intend to speak to us through your word. We pray this in the name of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Outside threats surface against the church. Again, for the second time in the book of Acts. And these threats are seeking to stop something. What are these threats seeking to stop? They're seeking to stop the speaking of the name of Jesus. They're seeking to stop the spreading of the word about Jesus. Now, in Acts, we have seen this, that the overall theme in the book of Acts is that when the church grows, it grows as a result of the growth of the Word of God. The church in Acts always grows as a result of the growth of the Word of God. The church in Acts knew no other way of growing except through the proclamation of the Word of God. Sure, there were miracles. Sure, there were uh, projects. There were ways that the disciples engaged in community. But it was the growth of the Word of God that grew the church. But in Acts 5.17, the apostles are stopped from speaking the Word. How will the church grow if the apostles are stopped from preaching the Word? Well, God intervenes. God intervenes through a miraculous rescue. Why does God intervene through a miraculous rescue? Not simply to protect the apostles, but in order to release them to speak the word about Jesus. And the main issue in this text is the speaking of the word about Jesus. Look at verse 28. The leaders bring, the, the high priest and the leaders tell Peter and the apostles, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Even after the imprisonment, the apostles are threatened again. They're, they're beaten up and they're threatened. Look at the end of this passage in verse 40. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So what is at stake in this passage? What's the issue here? Speaking about Jesus 
or not speaking about Jesus. Friends, the world we live in does not like to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about many other topics that would make our lives better, how to be more happy, how to make more money, how to have a great life, how to lose weight, how to have a happy marriage, or how to redefine marriage and sexuality. Lots of topics, but not Jesus. Don't bring Jesus in. Now, don't think that it's just the world that wants this. The church, too, is in danger of speaking about Jesus less and less, and to speak instead about that which itches the ears of people. The Apostle Paul wrote to um, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 the following words, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. What does this entail? Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. What is Paul telling to Timothy here? It's not just people outside the church that will not want to hear about Jesus, but people inside the church will not put up with sound teaching about Jesus. So that Timothy will have to do the work of an evangelist, not just outside the church, but inside the church. Speaking about Jesus. In Acts 5, the obstacles against speaking about Jesus came from the outside. So as we prepare to look at this passage, the Lord invites us to look at the reality. Look at the reality of obstacles in speaking about Jesus, regardless of their circumstances. Let me ask you this morning, before we even begin this, looking at the, 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 the points of this passage, are there obstacles in your life? speaking about Jesus? There may not be threats from the outside like, like the apostles experienced, but are there obstacles in your life that stop you from speaking about Jesus? If you have, if you have a hard time thinking of any obstacles, I would encourage you to consider why are you not speaking about Jesus? I'll tell you for me as, as a pastor, I have obstacles. Not from you. From my own fears. They're obstacles of perceived fears. I have obstacles in speaking about Jesus. I don't speak about Jesus as often as I should. I don't speak about Jesus as often as these apostles did. So I want to look at the reality. I want to look at the reality of obstacles speaking about Jesus. 
two things we learn from this passage about these obstacles. Number one, God is determined to see his disciples speak about Jesus. God is determined to see his disciples, his followers, speak about Jesus. Second point, the disciples are determined to speak about Jesus. The disciples are determined to speak about Jesus. The first point, after the apostles were imprisoned because of jealousy, the high priest, the Lord decides to intervene. And he does it in a miraculous ways. It's, it's those kind of ways that you, you get to see only in stories, right? But it's real. It happened. That's how it, per, it is perceived to us. Or that's how we, we are told of it. God sends his angel to rescue the apostles from prison. And the angel of the Lord does really two miracles. Not just the, the rescue of the apostles, opening the door, getting them out of, of the prison without anybody noticing. There's a second miracle closing the doors and locking them back without anybody noticing. Did you notice that? Nobody knows. And can you imagine these, these, the high priest, he's calling the entire uh, ruling elders, the entire leadership, the council, everybody else, the senate. They show up for a meeting because they have a special thing, a special guest to bring to this meeting. So the priest gets them all there. It's, there's a big hoopla, big gathering. And they go to, to pick up the, the apostles from prison. And what a surprise. What an embarrassment. They're not there. And then we find these apostles, they're not hiding somewhere for their life. Where are they? They're back in the temple preaching about Jesus, about the very name they have forbidden them to preach about. What's especially noteworthy about this rescue is not the rescue per se. It's not exactly how did the angel manage to do that. That's not the point. The purpose of the rescue is what's, at, what's highlighted here. And that purpose is given to us in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Why are they rescued? Look at the command the angel gives them. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This is why God sent the angel to rescue the apostles. Not to do more miracles. Not to do more social work. Even though this was indeed part of their ministry. But the angel's command was to speak to the people all the words of this life. The angel did not, and I love this, the angel did not just tell them, go and live a good life, because you might be the only gospel people will read. No. He told them, go speak the gospel. Go speak these words. Don't just settle for just living a good life so that others might see. Here in this passage, there's a command to speak. And did you notice what a beautiful description the angel gives about the message about Jesus? The angel describes this message as all the words of this life. All the words of this life. Oh, friends, if you are not a Christian this morning, 
And with so many visitors this morning, perhaps there might be some among us who, who even though they may know, you may know about Christianity, you may know what it's about, you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian this morning, this is a great truth about Jesus. He is the life. He is the life, the author of life, not just of our physical life, but the life that comes to us from above, from God. You see, the Bible tells us that because of sin, we have been separated from God, and that separation means death. First of all, spiritual death, and then eventually physical death as well, and then eventually eternal death. But God in His goodness, God in His mercy, sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty of our rebellion, of our sin, so that through Jesus we might be restored back to God, so that through Jesus we might have eternal life. And God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day to prove to us that in Jesus, God gives us new life. Friends, this is a life that we have in Jesus 1 John chapter 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Oh, dear friend, if you're not a Christian, there is a great difference between you and most of the people in this room. It's not a difference of age or race or background or looks. The big difference is this. You do not have life if you do not have Jesus. You might be alive physically. You might breathe and be quite healthy and active, but you do not have life in you. Those who do have Jesus, those who are true Christians, have the life of God in them. But, oh, friend, this morning, if you hear this news about what Jesus is and what Jesus has done, by responding to Him in repentance and faith in His sacrifice, you too can receive the life of God. This is a great hope. This is a great news of the gospel. And when we respond to Christ, He comes inside of us and He brings us the life of God. Oh, how I wish, how I wish that you would believe and embrace this news about Jesus. I would love to talk to you at the end of the service about how you can have Jesus inside your own heart. But friend, you don't even have to wait until the end of the service to do this. You can ask God right now where you are in your heart. If you don't have the life of God in you, turn around, repent of your sin in your own heart right now and ask God to bring you the life of God inside of you. Friend, I would love to talk to you more if this is your desire. Now, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, I wonder if you consider the teaching about Jesus in this way that the angel talks about it. Do you consider all the teachings about Jesus as being life? Honestly. When you open this book, and read it. Do you consider reading the words of life? Or do you consider just reading some words on a page? Friends, everything that Jesus taught us, 
everything that Jesus revealed to us through his apostles in the rest of the New Testament are the words of life. Not just some of the words, everything. Everything. So friends, when, when you think about the words about Jesus or the words of Jesus, do you think of them as the words of life? When you think about speaking about Jesus and you're, you're, you're working with the fears of your own heart and you don't know how to start approaching someone and even just name-dropping the name Jesus. You know, sometimes even that's hard, just dropping the name Jesus in a conversation. Would it help you if you thought these are the words of life? You're not just trying to get somebody to change some religious commitment. You're speaking to them about life. And then, of course, some Christians are intimidated to speak to others about Jesus because we have been falsely taught that unless we have a relationship with people, we can't have a chance to speak to them about Jesus. As if our relationship with the people is the effective power in speaking about Jesus. But friends, the effective power is not in our relationship with them. The effective power is in speaking about Jesus is the fact that Jesus is life. Speaking about him is speaking about life. There is life in the mere words of speaking about Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit of God uses those words and brings life to those who hear them. And there's a change in them from being dead spiritually. All of a sudden, these mere words used by the Spirit of God are heard for the first time and are understood as requiring and needing us to do something. And there's life in the mere speaking about Jesus. You don't need a relationship. Just speak to people about Jesus. Oh, if we could hear again, if we could hear again for us this command of the angel, speak to the people all the words of this life. That'd be great. I pray we would. I pray that these words we would hear for our hearts today, now. After such a miraculous rescue and after such a strong and clear commission from the angel of the Lord, the disciples do exactly that. Look at verse 21. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. This was their, this was their primary commission. Now, when the high priest sent for the apostles in prison, he has the unexpected surprise, the bewilderment that the apostles have escaped. But the surprise comes again in verse 25 when someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and doing what? and teaching the people. All over this passage, this theme of speaking about Jesus, teaching about Jesus, is all over. Here's the point of it all. The miracle that Jesus or the angel did shows us how determined God is to ensure that his word is proclaimed and moving forward. This is the first point. God is determined to ensure that his word will not stop, but keeps moving forward, keeps being spoken. How can we bring the word of God to Rollingwood? How can we bring the, ro- the word of God to Austin, to the ends of the earth? 
everything we do as a church should be with this question in mind, how can we speak about Jesus? In every context we are, everything we do as a church, as individuals, members of this congregation. What are the venues we can use to make the Word of God known? Not just to make a good impression to our neighbors. I mean, that's helpful. But more than that, go to the point of speaking the Word. The second point that we see in this passage is the disciples' determination to speak about Jesus. The disciples' determination to speak about Jesus. When the apostles are finally brought before the high priest and the ruling elders, they are asked why they have disobeyed the previous prohibition to speak about Jesus. And Peter's reply helps us to understand what is at stake in speaking or not speaking about Jesus. Here's what at stake. Verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. This is what, it's, what is at stake. It's our obedience to God more than our obedience to men. Speaking about Jesus shows whether or not we listen more to God or to men. The fear of man crouches in every one of us, doesn't it? In me included. Yesterday I was at Starbucks and was getting ready to uh, leave and I had a little brochure, a little tract about the gospel, the, the, the two ways to live that we have here around the church. And I uh, decided some time ago to carry those with me so that I have them handy to pass them on if the Lord prompts me. And here I was thinking and, and was thinking about giving it to a, a person that was studying and I didn't. I didn't. I failed. Could have, should have. I didn't. The fear of man is in my heart. I have to battle it every day. And most likely it's in your heart as well. Friends, make no mistake, our speaking about Jesus does show who we are more afraid of. Is it God or man? The irony of it all is that Peter disobeys the high priest's order even right there. Even right there. Can you, do you remember Peter, the one who was ashamed and intimidated to respond to a servant girl, uh, to a servant in the high priest's court, in the courtyard? Remember? And here he is now in front of the high priest for the second time. After being reminded of the prohibition, here's what Peter does. A beautiful summary of the gospel, verses 30 and 32. He just tells them about the resurrection of Jesus. God, our Father, raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Wow, Peter, you're quite bold. That's the point. Who do you fear most? Now, the ESV translates the word leader um, as, as, as leader, but in our days, a leader is such, it's such a... Such a diluted definition. Uh, sometimes we think of leaders as just people who have some influence but no real authority. But this word can also be translated in, in the Greek language as, as a ruler, as someone who has authority. And that's what Jesus, that's what Peter tells us and Peter and, and the high priest about Jesus. Jesus is the ruler. If you want a better, a more um, culturally relevant translation, it's like saying Jesus is a CEO the chief executive officer. That's what Jesus is. He's not just a savior. He's the one in charge. So when we, when we receive the news about Jesus, we receive the news that 
Jesus is God's appointed king, God's appointed CEO to rule over our lives and to rule over all creation. And one day he will, and that will be very manifest. But until that day, those who still run away from Jesus, those who still who, who want to live their lives apart from Jesus, they are called to repent and believe. How beautiful that Peter goes on and says, that God exalted him at the right hand of, as, as leader and savior to give repentance. Who's giving the repentance? It's God. God is giving the repentance. God is giving the forgiveness of sins. And then Peter concludes his speech by saying to the high priest, and we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. It's not only the apostles who function as witnesses, but the Holy Spirit also testifies. The Holy Spirit uses our words to testify, to bring witness to our hearts so that we are assured that whenever we speak the words about Jesus, we should rely on the Spirit at that station, the Spirit's work as well. And God gives the Spirit to those who obey Him. Friends, the response to the gospel is not a superficial faith but the faith that leads to obedience to what God has called us to do. That's why in the book of Acts, often the response to the gospel is called an obedience to the gospel. It's an obedience to the gospel. Not just faith in the gospel, but obedience. Because true faith leads to obedience. I love what John Stott said. The sermon began, the sermon that Peter preached here, began and ended with a reference to obeying God. God's people are under obligation to obey Him. And they will be richly rewarded by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in doing so. Faith in God is expressed in this case as obedience to God. So what do we learn from Peter speaking about Jesus? What do we learn from him? Well, Peter made clear what God has done through Jesus. Peter made clear what God has done through Jesus. He, God raised him from the dead as our ruler and Savior. Peter made clear what God offers us through Christ, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Peter made that clear. And Peter made clear what we must do, not simply have a superficial faith, but a faith that makes us obey God. Several times in Acts, this phrase of obedience and the gospel are put together. But does a high priest, do the council members respond positively? No, they don't. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. If you looked at the results, at Peter speaking about Jesus, we could say, Peter, you gave him a second chance, but it failed. Right? This is the second time. Peter, why waste your time? Why risk your life? Why trigger this on yourself? It's going to lead nowhere. Don't you remember what these guys did to Jesus? But Peter doesn't think through those pragmatic reasons. Peter was commanded to speak the word about Jesus to all the people. So he does. He does. Friends, just because there's no positive results in a particular gospel presentation, we should not conclude that God was not in it. Gamaliel intervenes in persuading these leaders not to kill the apostles, and his advice is received. 
Because of his intervention, the apostles are released, but not before they get a beating. Not before they get a beating, and not before they get another prohibition to stop speaking about Jesus. And what did the, the, the apostles do? The conclusion of this entire passage is in verses 41 through 42. These verses draw together for us what this event is all about. The reaction of the apostles is an encouragement for us of how we must think about speaking about Jesus, even when we face obstacles. Here's what the apostles did. First, they rejoiced at suffering persecution. They rejoiced. Look at verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Why were they rejoicing? They could have complained. They could have, thought, they could have felt self-pity. They could have uh, thought, wow, this is hard work. Um, or I didn't sign up for this. They could have felt in, um, insecure or vulnerable. But none of that. What do they, how do they respond? Joy. Why? That's so off charts. Right? But do you know why? I, I just wonder, I don't know this from the text, but I just wonder if they remembered the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I just wonder if the apostles remembered this. And this was the first time, the second time, they could actually rejoice in it. These apostles rejoiced for the honor to be dishonored, and the grace to be disgraced. The second thing they do is they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And they did it every day in the temple and from house to house. Wow. Every day. This is where I feel weak. This is where I feel weak. They did it every day, both in the temple and from house to house. Friends, what would happen to us if we did the same? What would happen to us if we did the same? To speak the word about Jesus every day. In the temple, when we're gathered on Sunday, and from house to house. I'm thinking of all the conversations I had this past week. I could have said something about Jesus more often than not. Not only with Christians, but with non-Christians as well. Or not only with non-Christians, but with Christians as well. Was I committed to speak about the name of Jesus every day? I wasn't. So I need to ask the Lord to help me. And I need to ask you as a church to pray for me, that the Lord will help me do this. I love what Spurgeon said, a church is a soul-saving company. Or it is nothing. Our mission, like our Lord's, is to gather out the chosen of God from among men, that they may live to the glory of God. Every saved man should be, under God, a Savior. And the church is not in the right state until she has reached that conception of herself. The elect church is saved. 
that she may save. Cleanse that she may cleanse. Blessed that she may bless. Friends, let's do this. Would you pray for me that I would do this every day? Would you pray for the leaders of this church that we would do this every day? That we would model this to you, the members, just as the apostles modeled this to the church so that we together, the company of saints in this church, those who have been saved by God, would carry out the words about Jesus. Why? Because they are the word of life. May we, may we do this. And friends, I know this could be just like a New Year's resolution, that in two weeks we forget about it. That's how this could be, unless, unless we do the following, unless we commit to pray that God enables us to do this. This is not something we can do in our own power. This is not something we can do just because we decide to do it. This is something that we can do only by the Spirit of God. So we need to commit to ask the Spirit of God regularly to pray. We should pray regularly to enable us us to speak the word about Jesus. That's the only way we're going to get there. No other way. So when we start our Sunday night prayer service in, in the month of June... Um, that is one of the things we want to commit to pray every Sunday night as a congregation. Lord, enable us to grow in speaking the word about Jesus because he is the word of life. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious God, thank you for showing us how determined you are to enable your servants to speak about Christ. Thank you for the miracle you have done in Acts 5 to release your apostles, so they may go back to the temple, even risking persecution, even risking threats and obstacles. But thank you for your determination to bring them out of the prison so they could speak the word. Spirit of God, we pray, would you impress upon our hearts the same determination? May we grow in speaking about Jesus so that your church may grow through the power of your Holy Spirit as a result of the proclamation of the gospel. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand once more and sing this with us together.